I have a book. It's entitled 50 Women Every Christian Should Know. There's short biographical sketches of these 50 women spanning the history of the church. Not biblical figures, but people after the first century A.D. On the cover, there are several photos, six to be exact. Among them are Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of the late, great Billy Graham. Harriet Tubman, who was responsible for the Underground Railroad, getting slaves out of slavery into the free part of the United States, where there was no slavery. Also, Lottie Moon, we who are Southern Baptists at least, recognize her name as the one who really inspired our annual Christmas offering drive to support international missions. I'd like to talk to you about another woman today. She's unnamed, but she is memorialized rather in Scripture, and her identity is given in the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. If you will turn with me. And I might say that she is undoubtedly the mentor of those three women I mentioned and the other 47 who are depicted in this book. It's a very good book, by the way. This morning, we're going to look at a lengthy passage of Scripture. Rather than read the entire thing, I'm going to begin with a launch point at verse 30, the last of the verses that we're going to consider today. So I'm going to read it from the New American Standard and encourage you to follow in whichever translation of the Bible you have. Charm is deceitful and beauty in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. The question immediately comes to my mind, what does it mean to fear the Lord? What is a person, whether male or female, who fears the Lord? The psalmist in Psalm 112 gives us a clear answer to this question. He says, how blessed is the man, and it would be suitable to insert the word woman, how blessed is the person who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. Simply put, the person, male or female, who fears God is a person who puts a premium upon obeying the Lord and doesn't do it begrudgingly. He or she does not see that the commandments of God are burdensome, a drag. Rather, he or she sees them as something to be delighted in because that person understands what Jesus says in John chapter 8, You are truly disciples of Mine if you abide in My Word, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The Word of God sets us free. His commands are not designed to cramp our style, but to really set us free. This God-fearing woman, as we look at the passage in Proverbs 31, there are several things I'd like to consider with you about her today. First of all, her wardrobe. Look at verse 25 of this passage of Scripture. And notice what it says. Strength and dignity are her clothing. This is the picture of this woman. Look at 22 in this verse. Verse 22, the last part. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. This woman's wardrobe was attractive, but not designed to draw attention to herself. 
most women in popular culture dress to impress. Isn't that true? Kim Kardashian comes to mind. If you might call what she does dressing. And today, probably she'll go with her husband, Kanye West, to his church. And every Monday, there is something that is broadcast all over the Internet about what Kim wore to church. Many times, it's rather skin tight and all kinds of designs. And this woman described here is not such a woman. Not a woman to draw attention to herself by the way in which she dresses. And she is indeed a great example to any Christian woman, or any woman for that matter, Christian or otherwise, not to dress to draw attention to oneself. Dress in a proper manner. This woman, this God-fearing woman, dressed in fine linen and purple. But she didn't do it to draw attention to herself. I read a portion of a letter to the editor of The Observer, which is the Notre Dame University's student newspaper. Last week it was sent by a woman named Marianne White. And she pled with the student body, the female part of the student body. And this is what she said. I am just a Catholic mother who has four sons, and they have a problem only girls can solve. And then she went on to say how her four sons went with her to Mass on the campus of Notre Dame University. And in front of them was what seemed like a sea of young co-eds who were dressed in spandex and short tops for Mass. And she said, I, I was appalled at that, not because it offended me directly, but what it did to my sons. And women... You may know this, I hope you know it, that the way you dress sometimes can really be a stumbling block to people like me and like other men in terms of appealing to our sense of vision. And so we just ask you gently and kindly, dress modestly and dress in a way that's beautiful but not designed in any way to draw attention to yourself. Although well kept, this God-fearing woman adorns herself with something more fundamental than clothing and jewelry, as we read from 1 Peter chapter 3. She dresses herself, and I'm not being inappropriate in saying this at all, I believe she dresses herself in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That has to do with me as a man and women and all of us. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the image which Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses is that of someone getting up, dressing himself or herself in the Lord Jesus Christ. The idea being that we are in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to dress in a manner that will... Be honoring to the Lord, whether male or female. This dress of Jesus is appropriate for every occasion. It's one size fits all, actually. It's durable. It doesn't ever go out of style. 
It's been in style for over 2,000 years. And the Bible tells us it's powerful in this passage in Proverbs 31, 25. Look at it again. Strength and dignity are her clothing. Powerful. In the book of Philippians chapter 4, you're all familiar with this probably, what Paul says that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. When we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, when we submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, the result is he comes and he empowers us for living the life that he created us to live to begin with. And he gives us the strength to overcome anything which we face. This woman, as we're going to see, who is depicted in Proverbs 31, is an incredible woman. Unbelievable. Her accomplishments are mind-boggling. It makes me wonder, did she ever rest? Because of, And she was so gifted. She was a multitasker, we're going to see. And who gave her the strength? Well, she dressed in Jesus Christ. The writer of Judges sort of turns the tables but gets to the same point when he talks in Judges chapter 6 about Gideon. Remember Gideon? Gideon was a coward. He was threshing grain down inside of a wine press which would have been underground. The only reason he would have done that is because he's afraid of the Midianites who came at that time of the year to steal the grain that was threshed which had been sown and cultivated and harvested by the nation of Israel. And so he's down there and the Lord shows up and speaks to him. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. It was shocking for him. He might have thought, I think you've got this right, Lord. You know where I am, right? I'm down in a hole hiding out. And the Lord said, I am with you. And as things unfolded and he got more and more in touch with the Lord and was following the Lord. The Bible talks about how the Holy Spirit clothed Himself with Gideon. And that's a picture of what happens in us. When we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a sense in which the Spirit of Christ lives in us. And we are clothing for Him. We are the conveyance of Christ. This God-fearing woman was such a woman. She was a powerful woman. Isaiah 40, verse 31, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You have heard that before. The word translated renew, actually the most basic meaning in Hebrew is exchange strength. What does that mean? When we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, when we clothe the Holy Spirit by receiving Christ, and He comes to indwell us. Each image is accurate, but when we do those things, what happens is that we are people who get an exchange from the Lord. He gives His life to us, and consequently we have His strength. The translation in the J.B. Phillips of Philippians 4.13 goes like this, I am ready for anything by the power of of the one who lives within me. The Jerusalem Bible says, there is nothing I cannot master with the help of the one who gives me strength. The power of Christ was resident in advance in this woman. 
We know that Jesus didn't live on earth at this time, but the power of God was in her. It was His strength. So her wardrobe is attractive for sure, but not designed to draw attention to others. Appropriate for every occasion. Durable. Powerful. And here's one other thing. It was dignified. It comes back to where I began in this particular part of the teaching, and that is she was modest in her dress. She was not merely the New American Standard, Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, concerned with externals. Externals, they are important for a woman, but they're not of greatest importance. Let's now go and consider her words in verse 26 of this passage of Scripture in Proverbs 31. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She's a wise woman. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How does someone become wise? Fearing the Lord. And this woman is indeed considered the epitome of a God-fearing woman. And consequently, when she spoke, she spoke wisdom. The reason is because she was clothed in Christ. In Isaiah 11.2, when Isaiah is declaring the things which will be true of the Messiah, Isaiah describes how the Messiah will have the Spirit of God upon him, and it is the Spirit of wisdom. It's the wisdom from above. James talks about this. And ladies, think about your speech and run a check on your speech at this point. In James 3.17, it says that this wisdom is peaceful. It is also pure. It is that which is merciful. It is reasonable. It is full of good fruits. This is the kind of speech that came out of this woman's life. And this is the kind of fruit that every woman who aspires to be a God-fearing woman will seek to have. And where did the words come from? Well, they came from the Lord. She was a woman of the Word of God, I'm sure. She had access to the Scriptures. She would ponder the Scriptures. She would take to heart the importance of meditating on God's Word so that she could be a person who was, in fact, who she had become, a woman of great power and influence for God. Many of you know the founder of Salvation Army, remember? William Booth? Well, William Booth had a wife. Her name was Catherine Booth. And when she passed away, this is amazing, when she passed away, In 1890, there were 36,000 people who came to her funeral. That's a lot of folks. That's a small city, isn't it? This is what she said about her life as she reached maturity. This woman, by the way, she's one of the 50 women in the book, 50 women every Christian should know. And she says, by the time I was 15 years of age, God had taught me that every active activity of life and every relationship into which we enter should be centered and bounded by God and His glory. 
And that's the way in which she lived. That was why she had the impact on her life. Her life had the impact on others' lives like it did. Her biographer said this about her. Said that she was judged as an orator, a teacher, an advocate among the most excellent of all those categories. But there was something more to her. And the something more to her was that when she spoke, people who heard her felt like they were engaged in a conversation, an intimate relationship with God. What did that come from? It came from the fact that she feared the Lord, for sure. Consequently, she was wise because she feared the Lord. It came from the fact that she was a woman who thought before she spoke. Her mind and heart were saturated with the Word of God. And so everything was filtered through the mind of Christ to those to whom she spoke. She was a wise woman, as was this woman who is mentioned in this passage of Scripture. When she opens her mouth, it's wisdom flowing from her mouth. Also, she was kind in her speech. In Proverbs 18.21, Solomon writes these words, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The tongue is an incredible instrument. It's a weapon in some cases to destroy people. It brings death in many cases. But think about where you and I would be who know Jesus Christ. Where would we be? were it not for someone speaking the gospel to us. We would be lost, wouldn't we? We would be adrift. But somebody spoke the word of Christ to us. How shall they hear without a preacher? And I've said on other occasions, that's not talking about someone like me who stands up in a group of people like you. Rather, it's talking about someone who brings the good news. We're in this emphasis this year. Who is your one? Asking God to give us someone whom He could reach through us with wise and kind words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Matthew twelve twenty four. Jesus says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I like what one man said, What's in the well comes up in the bucket. It's true, isn't it? When I'm under pressure... What comes out of my mouth is really who I am. What you and I do in a pressurized situation has to do with what we have hidden in our heart and how we walk with God. Now, nobody's perfect. We know that. We all have things come out of our mouths that don't belong in our mouths or coming out of our mouths in the form of ugly speech or speech that is in the form of gossip or slander or those kinds of things. Those things are out of bounds for us. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. That would be an awesome motto for us in relationship to people. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth except that which is helpful for building others up. Not tearing others down, not leading people in the wrong direction, but building them up. And notice what Paul says, according to their need. 
How would I know what a person's need is? How would you know what my need is? You'd have to know me, wouldn't you? I'd have to know you. I'd have to be interested enough in you to know what your need is. And the need that you have, whatever it might be, is addressed in the Word of God. That it may benefit those who listen. Our speech can be life-giving only and if, but absolutely will be, if we design the speech to build people up, not tear them down, to deal life and not death. This woman in question was such a woman. Are you, dear lady, such a woman out of whose mouth comes life and not death, building people up, not tearing them down, speaking things to their face or behind their backs which are unhealthy and debilitating. Having looked at this woman's wardrobe and her words, let's look at her work. Verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. This woman was an industrious woman. When I thought about this, my mind went immediately to part of a verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, which says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Now let's look back up the page here in Proverbs 31, beginning with verse 12. She does him good, this is her husband, and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. Now look at 15. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. Before I forget it, let me stop here just a minute. She had some maidens. We had, she had at least two helpers. Probably had many helpers. So... It helps me feel a little more at ease being around this woman because she seems like Wonder Woman instead of a human being. But she, she knows how to delegate responsibility. She teaches by her own example those who are under her charge how to be and how to behave. Now look at verse 16. She considers a field and buys it from her earnings she plants a vineyard. Look at verse 18. She senses that her grain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. This woman doesn't seemingly sleep. She's up all the time. And then look at verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. So as I thought about this lady, I saw she's an industrious person. And I think about women today who are God-fearing. They fit this description. They're industrious women. They're purposeful in what they do. And the thing that motivates them is what we read in Colossians 3.23. They obey the Word of God, whether consciously or unconsciously. Where the Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it heartily, not as for man, but for God. This woman who is God-fearing is motivated by her love for the Lord. And New Testament women 
are motivated in like manner that the Spirit of God indwells you. You have clothed yourself with strength and dignity. You've clothed yourself with Christ. And He has enveloped Himself with you by the Holy Spirit. And He motivates you to be hardworking. In the parable of the talents, there are three figures who are given an assignment by their leader. These servants are given different amounts of money. One is given five talents. One is given two talents. One is given one talent. The master leaves, comes back unexpectedly. In the interim, the ones who had gotten five and two talents had doubled them. They were greeted by their master. And he said, after hearing their report, well done, good and faithful servant. And then the man who was just given one, he was all uptight, mad, because he didn't get what the others had gotten. And he took it and he buried it. And then when he heard the master was back, he began to hoping he could find where he had buried He dug it up out of the ground and he took it to the master, giving an account. When the master said, what have you done? He said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man. And you were actually like a skin flint. I don't know if the word was there in those days. And I wanted to make sure that you got everything you gave me back. Well, the Lord read right through that. The man did. And the Lord Jesus did too. And he said about such a person who squanders the talent, not just money, talent, which means really opportunity. I think it represents opportunity, which could include money. But a person who squanders his or her opportunity, this is what the Lord said to that servant. Depart from me, you wicked and lazy servant. Laziness, the Lord lumps together with wickedness. That's rather sobering, isn't it? Industrious, this woman is in her work. She was diverse in her work, too. You can probably find more applications of this, but I see in this passage she's a gardener, she's a seamstress, she's a manager, she's an entrepreneur, she's one who is a weaver. I'm just scratching the surface. This woman was incredible, wasn't she? in the diversity. And I would imagine she had talents in these areas, but probably she had to learn from others in order to develop something that was latent in her life in this area. And certainly she must have done that. As I was thinking about this woman and the example of it in the New Testament, I thought about the woman who's known as Dorcas or Tabitha in the book of Acts, the ninth chapter. Peter was asked to come to her dwelling place because she was very ill. When he got there, she had died. And surrounding her deathbed were a host of women who were widows, and they were weeping. And they began to show him, they had with them tunics and garments which she had made for them, showing the fruit of her labor. Dorcas was a God-fearing woman, and she served poor people like Dorcas served these people. Dorcas and the woman in question. Well, let's move on. We've looked at her wardrobe and her words and her work. Now let's look at her worries. Verse 25, look at it. The second part of verse 25. She smiles at the future. Here, this woman has no worries. It's amazing, isn't it? 
Do any of you women worry? Let me ask the men. Do any of you men worry? We're wasting our energy to worry if we really know who we are in Christ. We don't have to worry. We have to be like this woman. Why did she have no concern? She smiles at the future. Some of the translations translate the word smiles, laughs at the future. She she does because she fears the Lord. Remember? Turn over to Psalm 34. 34th Psalm. Let's look at the ninth verse of Psalm 34. The ninth verse says of Psalm 34, Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for to those who fear Him there is no want. What does that mean? If I fear the Lord, the Lord is promising me that my needs are going to be met. Understanding what the fear of the Lord is. We've looked at a beautiful profile in this woman of what a God-fearing person is. And if we fear the Lord, one of the promises which God makes is, you will have no want. I bet we could have more than just a smattering of testimonies this morning from people who might not think of themselves as God-fearing, but in essence they are. And they have listened to what the Lord has said over the course of their lives. And they could stand and say, humbly I must say, that I have feared the Lord. And consequently, I have no lack or fear of the future. I'll be okay. She also seeks the Lord's glory. This is what we know about this woman. She seeks the Lord's glory. In Matthew 6, 33 and 34, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things, meaning the necessities of life, food and clothing, will be given to you. You don't have to sweat it. It's what Jesus says. If you seek the Lord. People who fear the Lord, ladies who fear the Lord, they seek the Lord. They grow in their fear of the Lord to the level that they continue to seek the Lord. Remember what God says through the prophet Amos. He says, seek me and live. So, women who fear the Lord also seek the Lord. And they can smile at the future. They don't have to worry about whether they will be cared for. Because God has promised them, if they fear Him, they will be taken care of. What a promise. We all need to live like that. Thank God for women. I know sometimes women have a little bigger struggle because of the men they're married to, probably, with regard to the security of the future. You know, my my nature is to be a gambler. I haven't not gambled professionally, but if I hadn't got straight with the Lord, I probably would have done a lot of that in my life. And it's put my wife on edge at times. And it took me a while to learn that I needed to protect her in that way. To let her know, I'm making provisions for the future. But ladies, some of you are single. Maybe you've never been married. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you're widowed. And there are times when you feel the future closing in on you because you're not sure you'll have enough. You don't want to be a burden on your children if you have grown children. You don't want to be a burden on anybody. Well, listen, the Lord doesn't see you as a burden. He loves you. And because you fear Him, because you seek Him, you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, the result is going to be that He's going to take care of you. 
He is a husband to the widow. He loves you. Here's the third thing. She trusts the Lord's promises to her. Let's go back. Proverbs 31, 20. She extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. Now, what does that have to do with what I suggest? She trusts the Lord's promises to her. Well, keep your place here and just turn back to the 19th chapter. It's one of several places we could look in Proverbs. Proverbs 19, 17. The writer says, he, and you can substitute the word she as well, she who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. Every time I'm prompted by the Lord, or you as a lady is prompted by the Lord, is you are being prompted to do something to someone less fortunate than you, to give Away. Don't loan it. Give it away. Remember, you're lending to God. God taught me this years ago. When somebody's in need, don't lend it. Give it. Because you're giving to me. And you can be sure I'm going to replenish what you have given. And I'm standing here before you today to say, He has never failed to take care of me in the 69 years of my life, 48 of which have been totally independent of any other source, humanly speaking, but only on Him. And God wants us to believe Him. And this lady, she had a heart for the poor, didn't she? And the result of that, she didn't just feel it, she did something about it. She shared it. And this should be true of us, whether we're men or women, and it's awesome. She trusts the Lord's promises to her. I have another verse here. 2 Corinthians 4.16, and you can just listen if you want to go there. Certainly, please do. And this is what Paul writes. Though our outer man is wasting away, our inner man is being renewed day by day. Look, ladies, it's hard on you when you begin to age and wrinkles begin to creep up and you're thinking about, what can I do? You know, I'd go to get some Regenerist or something to restore my beauty of youth. It's hard to keep a, a nice, smooth facial countenance in this region. is isn't because of the dryness. You just have to work hard. I'm not going to tell you what I do, but you all, you all have to work hard. But look, ladies, this woman was a beautiful woman, wasn't she? Look at 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. That's what happens when we grow older. But this woman had an inner beauty, didn't she? Isn't that what we read in 1 Peter chapter 3? An inner beauty that time could not erode. And to be quite frank, time would give her more opportunity to see the inner person grow and grow. And remember, who is that inner person? It's the Lord Jesus, correct? And she becomes more like Christ in her attire. She becomes more like Christ in the way in which she works. She becomes more like Christ in the way she speaks. And she becomes a woman who is like the Lord. Praise God for that. 
She has no worries about the future. That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? No more worries. Well, I'm enough of an idealist. I believe all the Bible's true, not just some of it. Consequently, I buy this lock, stock, and barrel. And I believe every woman here, if you seek the Lord, you fear the Lord, you trust in His promises, you claim them, as this woman, I believe, did, the result will be that you can laugh at the future. But she even laughs at death. I like this. The future involved death. Going back to what we began with at the beginning about how the person who fears the Lord greatly delights in the commands of the Lord. So that raises a very big question. What are the commands of the Lord? There's a ton of them. We know the Ten Commandments. That's a good place to start. But those are pretty big. Then there's a whole lot of writing after that explaining how that applies to the life of Israel and what would apply to us. There's a whole lot that goes around the whole discussion of commandments. But thank the Lord, He has simplified it for us in the book of 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. And He says, This is the commandment of the Lord, that you believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the entry point to fearing the Lord. Believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He has commanded. Believe in the Lord Jesus. If we go a little further in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, and this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. The Lord wants us to know, and it's rather clear. How do we receive eternal life? We receive it the only way it can be received, as a gift through Jesus. We remember and seek to understand, and the Holy Spirit opens our eyes spiritually so we can see our need for forgiveness of sin. Then we read this amazing statement that is made by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 where he says, God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Therein lies the answer to our entering into the fear of the Lord. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The law, all these commandments in the Old Testament, it would drive a person who was conscientious, stock-raving mad to try to constantly keep up with all those laws and have to wait an entire year in some cases from the day after Yom Kippur to the next Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, so that he could be sure, she could be sure that sins were taken care of. Jesus did that in His life. He did not come to destroy the law of the prophets. He came to fulfill them and He did them to the T so that you and I don't have to do that anymore. And He would be able to give us eternal life. This life is in His Son. He who has the Son, and I love the way the New American Standard translates this, 
has the life. There's only one life, and Jesus is the life. The life. And if you have Jesus, you have the life. And you have the power to fear Him. That's the entry point, as I've said twice already, into fearing the Lord. 1 John 3.23, what does it say? This is His commandment, that you believe in the name of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, when John in his Gospel, or John in 1 John, talks about believing in the Lord, it's not just intellectual assent. Rather, it is movement toward and trust in a person. That's what the idea is. It's conveyed very clearly in the original language. Movement toward and trust in. Not just say, oh, I believe, but it's a matter of entrusting your will to Him. Turning your will over to Him. Saying, Lord, I give you my life. I surrender, Lord. I was listening to a sermon that my mentor who passed away last year, almost a year ago now, and he was talking about his having heard a missionary who described how he had been a missionary from his local church in his community. Then he became a home missionary. He worked for the North American Mission Board. Then he became a foreign missionary. He said, I was in all kinds of missions, but the greatest of all those missions was submission when I submitted my life to the Lord. That's for every man and woman here today. Submission to the Lord. And the result of that is that we are God-fearing, whether we're male or female. John 14, 1 through 6, Jesus says, Stop letting your heart be troubled. Believe in me. You already believe in God. Believe in me. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. And I've got one custom made for you. And I'm going to be waiting for the moment when your life ends and on earth and I come to meet you. And when I come to meet you, I'm going to receive you to myself and take you with me to that place. And you remember what Thomas said? Lord, we do not, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And what did Jesus say? I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Years ago, in the Atlanta Constitution newspaper, there was a letter to the editor from a pastor who had had a family in their church. This family had one child, a dear daughter, nine years of age. And this is long before the advancements that had been made in the treatment of leukemia. It was a death sentence at that time for any child or adult, for that matter, who developed leukemia. And this child, nine years of age, was declared incurable. And the doctor told the mother and dad about it. And the dad said to the doctor he needed some reassurance. He said, you're sure? He said, yes, as far as I know. This will be what will happen to her. And he said, do you think I should talk to her and tell her about it? And the doctor said, yes, it would be good if you and your wife talked to her.
to your daughter and tell her. He said, my daughter, even though she's only nine years old, has already received Jesus as her Lord. How sweet. And so he very nervously sat down by his daughter's bed that very day along with his wife. He says, honey, the doctor says you have a sickness that will not be able to be made well. And you're going to soon pass away. And because you know Jesus, you're going to go to Him. Now, he got a little creative here. But he said, Jesus is going to send a train for you someday. And you're going to board that train and it's going to take you to heaven where Jesus will greet you. And she said, will Jesus Himself, her eyes just sparkled, will Jesus Himself greet me at the station And he said, oh, yes, dear, he will meet you. And it won't be long before Mommy and me will be coming too. God wants us to have that kind of assurance, the assurance of a child. Unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. This woman who fears the Lord is such a person. Do you have that assurance in your life, whether you're a male or a female? Do you have that assurance? that you have eternal life. It's for us today. Would you bow your head? If you would like to have that assurance, let me ask you to pray this prayer. Dear Lord, I'm not sure that I have eternal life, but I believe what you say when you say, I can know for sure. I want to submit myself to You today. I want to say, Lord, whatever You want, I'm Yours. All of me, Lord, not just part of me. Thank You, Jesus, for dying for me. For taking all of my sin on Yourself so that I could be a child of God. Please, Lord, forgive me and let me be with You forever, beginning right now. Teach me to fear You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.